0: you have your Bibles, you might want to turn them to Philippians, the fourth chapter. And the lesson this week is a second part of what we started last last week. We dealt with verses 4 through 9, and then we'll pick up with verse 10 to the end of the chapter. And what we was noting primarily was an attitude of heart that it's possible for a Christian to have that gives him an attitude towards all the problems of life this is totally different than somebody that is not operating on that same information and we noted the the information that we're looking at is very important uh, not only given to us by God but the man that God uses is in a situation that it makes it very impressive what he has to say and again to set the background for this material as Paul writes this short letter to the Philippian church, he is in jail. He's in a Roman dungeon. He's writing to a church that he established. And the way he established that church is not the way that you would choose to go and establish a church. Paul was thrown in jail for the proclamation of information about Jesus. And while he was in jail, he was actually singing and praying to God, as recorded in Acts, the 16th chapter. And then there was an earthquake, the jailer was disturbed, he thought everybody was going to escape, Paul actually calmed the jailer down, let them know that they weren't going anywhere, and then he went ahead and, and at the insistence of the jailer, proclaimed this good news of salvation in Christ, and the end result was that the jailer and his entire household were baptized that very night, and the jailer actually washed the wounds of the Apostle Paul and Silas that were in jail, and then they went on their way. So this is the birth of the church in Philippi. It starts by Paul being thrown in jail, converting the jailer and his family, and that serves as the nucleus of this church. Well, since that time, Paul's been thrown in jail again, and he's anxious to write to the Philippians. He knows the persecution that they have incurred since becoming Christians, and so from a dungeon he writes this letter, letting them know how pleased he is with them, how pleased that God is, and also trying to convey to them some information that will cause them to persevere no matter what the problems of life. We noted last week that when we think about life, that although in many ways we we strive for a utopia uh, during the years of our existence here, the truth is that nobody escapes this life without experiencing all the bad things that, that this life, because of sin and the consequences of it, uh, has to throw at us. Uh, we know that, uh, that no matter what's going on right now in your life or what has gone on, the worst things of life happen to every one of us. All of our parents will die if they're not already dead. All of our grandparents will die if they're not already dead. All of our children will die. And even if we die before they do, we know they're going to follow us. We know at any time that loved ones or people we're acquainted with are subject to car wreck and diseases and things of this nature. And so we all live with this kind of thing constantly. We all live in a body that had in, in many senses has terminal cancer. Uh, we, we just simply know that we're going to die. Uh, the person that's been told he has terminal cancer may know for sure it's coming within a few months, the truth is it could come for us that don't have it before a few months. But we all know we're going to die and we live with this decaying, aged body, aging body that is subject to all kinds of diseases. The same problems of life, uh, making enough money to support our family, uh, taking care of our responsibilities towards the older ones in our family or, or those that may be an invalid or have some other problem. We all experience those very type things. Dealing with the member of the family that is not what he or she should be and and causes misery on the other members of the family. We all experience that type thing. So we go through life and we all deal with this and the question is how can you be happy, rejoice, have inner peace of mind, be optimistic and positive, uh, be an asset to the members of your family and and to others that are in society from within this framework of all the heartache and all the problems that life has to offer. Okay, I'll read again those four verses we looked at last week and beginning in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always, not sometime, but always. Written by a man who is in jail. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. think about such things whatever you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me put it into practice the result and the God of peace will be with you so Paul says number one you make a choice in the way you're going to think we all have a lot of negative things that happen in life I don't care how righteous you try to be number one as righteous as you may try to be you fall short and you know it and you got to deal with that then number two you suffer the consequences of other things and there's all kinds of ugly things going on all the time but paul says when it comes to what you're going to dwell on in your mind you make a choice you can accept the reality that yes we live in a world of sin it's an untoward and crooked generation the majority of the people have never and are not now trying to do the will of god we at our best don't do it perfectly, so there's all kinds of consequences. Accept it. Just like a football player accepting the fact that before I score a touchdown, I'm going to get knocked down a number of times along the way. He accepts that. And so he, he makes eight yards, and he gets up, and he's rejoicing. Uh, not, he's, he's forgetting the fact he got knocked down because he's so happy about the eight yards that he just made. Or the quarterback throws a pass, and he gets knocked down. And he stands up and he claps and he runs to meet the receiver. He's so happy about the 25-yard completion that he's just almost oblivious to the fact that he just got knocked down. Well, in the same way, Paul is saying, these negative things happen. We know why they're happening. But make the decision in your mind to think about things that are pure and good and holy and right. About these other things, he says, make your petition to God. Don't go around full of anxiety and and being anxious and and allow it to stress you up and, and take all the happiness out of life. But rather than feel anxious and misery and stressed and allowing that to destroy your life, God knows you. God knows your anguish. Present your request to God, just like his son did. Uh, When he knew he was going to be crucified, and he went and he presented in fervent matter his request to God. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And he knew that it was not in keeping with God's will that, that he be delivered from that. And so he went ahead and suffered what was there. But he made his petition. And if possible, that it could be another way, then he wanted it to be another way. And so make your request to God. And if that request is in keeping with God's will, God will answer. If God says no, know that he says says no to his own son. When what the son wanted was not in keeping with the eternal will. And so then rejoice in the fact that the creator of the universe, the omniscient one that knows everything, has made the perfect decision... And his decision is no. It's best for you and I that he said no that time. So Paul says all of this, if we understand it, if we pray to God, if we think on the positive, if we realize the bad is here because of sin, will allow us to have a tranquility of spirit, a peace of mind that others don't have. And all the time, keep in mind, you know that you operate from within a framework where although your body is dying because of sin, your spirit has been saved because of the blood of Christ and your trust in Him and you have the hope of eternal life. Now, let's continue with verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you at last have renewed your concern for me. Notice uh, Paul practicing what he just preached. He says, think about these things that are positive. Okay, here is Paul. He's in jail, right? Right? terrible negative in a Roman dungeon. But what what is he thinking about? I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Why? That at last you have renewed your concern for me. Even you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity. I'm saying this because, and this Paul's right there. So here's Paul, he's in jail. And he could sit there and dwell about the fact that hey, I didn't do anything to deserve this, and I'm in jail. But rather, what he's thinking about is, hey, the Philippian church that I established another time when I was in jail, has grown to be a strong spiritual people, and they're concerned about me, and they are expressing their concern, and they are ministering to my needs, and what had happened is that, we learned this in the letter, the Philippian church had set up a fund for Paul, just as we have set up a certain amount of money for the men that we helped to support in their work. The Philippian church had made a decision to set up a fund for Paul, and they contributed to it, and that was to be sent to Paul, and they was to have one to go to him and to minister to him even when he was in jail. And so here's Paul, he's in jail, but he's dwelling on the fact that the Philippian church has set up a fund <laughs> in my behalf, and they're supporting me in my work, and they're even sending somebody to minister to me in my time of need, and so he says, I rejoice. Comparison, maybe you're in the hospital, you have an ailment, but you've also got some good doctors, good nurses, good hospital, people that love you, that are visiting and concerned, and you've got your relationship with God. And you know that no matter what happens here, you've got the promise of eternal life. So on the one hand, the negative of that situation, but you've got a choice. You can lay there in that hospital bed, And you can just dwell and dwell and dwell and get down. And and when people come in, just express how down that you are. Or you can think about the fact that, hey, here are some concerned people that are here to visit me. The church is praying on my behalf. I've got my relationship with God. I've got these doctors and others working on my behalf. Everything that, that should be done and can be done, is being done. And so you can rejoice and feel good in the positive all the time that you're experiencing the negative, but then you can even maybe (coughs) experience some good because of the negative. You can think about that negative from the standpoint that, hey, the fact that I'm experiencing this is just impressing in my mind more and more and more how temporal that life is. That it's like the writers of the Bible said, that that life is, is like a flower of the grass, that it appears and it's beautiful for a short period of time, And then it withers and goes by the wayside. And so that great truth that the writers of the Bible have tried to hammer in my mind all my life, I'm experiencing. And so we learn something spiritual, and you may even say to yourself, if I get out of here, I'm going to be ten times over more spiritual than I was before I came here, because now I understand how temporal and how frail that life actually is. So I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that you at last have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. And notice now the statement that Paul makes, and man, one we can all learn. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's his secret? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Okay, now let's look at this again. He said that I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He said, I know what it is to be well-fed. I know what it is to be hungry. But notice this, this ability to handle the situation is not a natural thing that just happened to Paul. Notice a key word there. In fact, I've got it circled in my Bible. He said, I have learned, in verse 11, to be content. In whatever the circumstances. And then in verse 12, right about the middle of the verse, I have learned the secret of being content. So, this ability to be in want, this ability to have a need, this ability to be sick, this ability to have hardship and yet still be content is a learned behavior. Some people go through life, in fact I'm convinced the majority of people, and they absolutely never could be content sick. They never could be content when their body gets old and it's not as pretty as it was when it was younger. that They never could be content when they were hungry or when they didn't have as much, their house is burned or whatever has happened. They never could be content because they never learned. And so Paul says, I'm able to be here in this dungeon and I'm thankful that you have remembered me and renewed your help, but not because of my need He says, I can be content without your help. That's what he's saying. I can be content without, I'm glad it's here. But listen, not just because of my need, I can be content without your help because I've learned the secret. I'm glad when I've got a lot to eat. That's great. But I've learned the secret. I know how to be content even when I don't. I know how to abound. I know how to be without and yet I can be content. So Paul's condition of mind of being content and rejoicing, notice now, is not conditioned on the everyday things of life. Some of us never really experience happiness in the way that we can because we go through life as reactionaries. We we react. You go to work. If, If everything goes well, everybody treats you just right, everything goes smooth, then you go home and you feel great, and you've had a great day. But, if somebody talks to you in a wrong way, if if everything goes wrong, then you get all uptight, and you're anxious, and you go home, and you're wrung out, and you're zapped, and you feel bad, and you're down. So what has happened? Or, you're, you're feeling good, and you're healthy, and you get a phone call and somebody you love has got cancer or they've had a heart attack or they've died or you you'd get this bad information you know that uh, something over here has happened to some material possession of yours you parked your new car out here and somebody come along with a hammer and banged it up so what are we saying what you're doing and this is the majority of people of life they are allowing other people to control whether or not they're happy. They're allowing other people to control whether or not they can rejoice. They're allowing the world to control whether or not they can be content. And so a person that operates like this, and this is the majority of the world, I'm convinced 99.9% of those outside of Christ and well over half in Christ, who've never learned this secret here, they go through life and the only way they can be happy is when everything is going right. But you know, there's a real problem there, because notice how we introduced our lesson? Everything don't go right most of the time. When I turn on the news, and, 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 they, and I read about those Kurds that are, are starving to death, a thousand of them a day. And, and this nut in Baghdad that's wanting to massacre so many people, that's terrible. You know, it, they don't have to be kin to me for me able to be able to realize and see how terrible that is. Or when I pick up the paper and I read of some innocent person out here that's killed by a drunken driver. Or you read of some innocent individual, a, a hemophiliac or a baby that is struggling with AIDS because of somebody else's behavior. And you think all of that is terrible. And then, of course, we have all the various problems that, that hit us with life, whatever it is. If the only way you're going to be happy and rejoice is for everything to go good, if you sit down and think about it, you're going to limit yourself to very, very few hours in the course of a year. Very, very few hours in the course of a year. Now, I'll tell you what the world tries to do to experience a little happiness here. The psychologists call it escapism. Here's the world's way of handling it. See, the truth is you can't handle this outside of Jesus. The world says escape from it. And so one of the reasons that we're so fanatical about sporting events and things of this nature is because what is going on is so all-engrossing and so all-exciting that we can just throw everything out of our mind and concentrate on that. Or we can get away for the weekend and escape the whole thing, whatever it may be. And so the only way the world knows to deal with this is to block alcohol and drugs. Why do people use alcohol? Because it tastes good? I'm never, I've never been convinced that alcohol tasted good to anybody. Just pure alcohol has to have other things poured in it so you can get it down. You, you, you couldn't drink it otherwise. Do they take cocaine and that kind of stuff? Because it tastes good. But it helps them to have a mind frame to escape. Or to be something that really they're not. And, and that's the reason that stuff is so popular. But Paul says, for you and I, we don't need that. If we learn the secret, now nobody can learn their secret except a Christian. I mean, there's nothing to learn if one's not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I'll tell you your state, you're in a body that's dying, and you have absolutely no hope, and they're going to plant you in the ground when you die, and there is no hope for you beyond the ground. Now that's your state without Christ. And you live every day of your life. You can't go to God in prayer. You do not have his providential care. There there is nothing there. there. The secret begins in Christ. The beginning of wisdom is the reverence of God. So we come to understand God through the information that he's given us. And then we learn this great truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right away I began to experience something. The creator of the universe loves me more than all oh, this great universe. Man, if that don't do something for your mind, you have to not believe it or not understand it. But to first come to realize in your mind that, hey, Johnny may, down there may not like me, Susie may hate me my old mother may not like me big deal the creator of the universe loves me so much that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for my sins man if that ought to make you feel great that you're that important that you're made in the image of God and the creator of the universe would come and adorn himself in human flesh and die for you That ought to lift you up just that knowledge. Right now, we, we make this decision to get into Christ. And so now we walk. And I'm not going to pray to God and ask him to take away all the implacities of life because he's not going to do it. The only way he could do that would be to tamper with somebody's free choice. The only way God can stop the killing of the Kurds is to somehow turn... Saddam Hussein into a robot and he tells him what to do. He's not going to do that. Saddam's going to make his own choices. The only way that God can stop this alcoholic out here from getting on the highway drunk is to get into his mind and turn him into a robot. He's not going to do that. God wants us to see that his law is perfect. And the only way we can see that is through the consequences of people when they disobey him. So that's the real world that I live in. But from within that framework, Hey, God loves me. Jesus died for me. I have the remission of my sins. If this drunk out here does run over me, it's just a quick ticket to glory land. I have eternal life. If I get cancer, it's a quick ticket out of here. I've got eternal life. My attitude, if I understand Christianity, ought to be like Paul expresses in this same letter. He said, Hey, listen, I've got a battle going on in me, and I'm caught up between the two. He said, The battle is... Do I get out of this body and go be with the Lord? Or do I stay here in this body for the good that I can do for other people? He said, let me tell you something. I'd rather get out of this body and go be with the Lord. That's far better. But I'm convinced that God has some things for me to do. And so I'll stay in the body for what I can do. How do you hurt a man like that? If you have the attitude, and I have the attitude, that to live in the body is Christ, And it means service I give to God. But if to get out of the body means I go to be with the Lord, and then I leave all this veil of sorrows and tears and things here, then what do I choose? There's the great thing, but here I can be of service to God. We've got two positives. There's no way we can lose in our situation. Okay, now, let's turn back and read another passage over in Romans, the 8th chapter, backing up the statement again, written by the same author. Romans, the 8th chapter, a very familiar passage to us, beginning with verse 28. Remember Paul said, I've learned the secret to having and having not. We begin to see again, part of this secret that Paul has learned. We know, verse 28, that in all things, God works for the good of those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? In other words, what is your response to this? That God calls us all things to work together for the good of those that love him. Here's Paul's response. If God is for us, who can be against us if i've got god in my corner who in the world am i worried about who at work what saddam hussein what hitler what anything am i worried about if god's on my side he how much does he care listen he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things man If he would give his own son up for us, you know that he's gonna do anything that's for our good. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship our persecution, our famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's Paul's secret. Is Paul operating under some illusion like the healthy, wealthy, and wise TV evangelists that tell you to to do such and such and you're going to get rich? That's not Paul's understanding. Paul knows that he can be persecuted. He knows he can get sick. He knows he can suffer. He knows he might have to do without He knows that every negative thing that can happen to any human being can happen to him in in this life. But Paul also knows that none of this can separate me from the love of God. How much does God love me? You see, how many times have you all heard that? How much do you love me? God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten Son. Paul knows how much. You, You and I don't have to go through life and say, how much does God love me? God loved me so much that he gave his only son as a sacrifice for my sin. The thief on the cross, now if you're sitting here thinking I'm not the best person around, the thief on the cross was a scoundrel. He had committed murder and insurrection. His own comment was, I deserve to be here. Well, he's in paradise now, and he's with the Lord because he learned the secret. The secret is in Jesus. The secret is coming to grips with sin and repenting of your sins and putting your trust in that perfect one. That's the secret. And he went out of this world with peace of mind and with the guarantee of paradise. Think about the great people in the Old Testament. Think of one of them that got to experience a utopia in this life. Abel Goes to death because to his death because of his righteousness. Noah, how would you like to live in a world where every single solitary person, except for your family, was in absolute rebellion against God? How would you like to be a laughing stock for 120 years, preaching to people that didn't believe a word that you said, and here you are building this great big boat, telling them what's going to happen? They don't believe a word you said. They're all worn in sin. And then you know that all your neighbors, whatever friends you've got, whatever family, except for that meeting, are, are going to die. That was Noah's life. Abraham. Abraham, get out. Get out and leave. Why? Because your whole family is in idolatry. Your daddy is an idolater. Your mother's an idolater. Your brothers are idolaters. Get up, Abraham, and get out. And so you head off. Where you don't know? And the going is so bad that in your weakness that several different times that you lie to protect your own hide like Abraham did. That was Abraham's life. Got to be 90 something years of age and God still hadn't fulfilled one of his promises to him. And he thought, surely there's no way it's going to happen now. David spent a, a chunk of his life being chased around by Saul and Saul trying to take his life. Spent their latter part of his years suffering the consequences of domestic problems as a result of mistakes he had made in his earlier years. John the Baptist got his head cut off. All the apostles go to their death. Jesus is executed. Nobody gets out of here with a utopia situation. Nobody does. The moment we come to grips mentally with the fact that there will never be a utopia in this world, despite what the liberal politicians say, that we can do such and such and we're going to have this grand situation, and all the time God is kicked out the door, no, the further they kick God out, the more our grand situation goes, the only peace of mind comes from knowing the creator of the universe, experiencing the salvation that you have in Christ, being able to have all of these negative things happen to us, and they will happen to us but to learn the secret of Hamlin By dwelling on all of the positive that you and I as Christians know. By making our petitions to God on those things beyond our control, and then practicing a way of life that is much impossible in harmony with His will, knowing that it works, and it's absolutely perfect. Let's conclude our lesson for this morning. If, if you're in the audience, as one that is not a Christian, and you know and understand the good news of salvation that you can have in Jesus, we give you this opportunity to respond if you so desire. As together we stand and sing.